It is good to be here this afternoon here in this place. We could not have had a more beautiful day to come out here and worship the Lord. That's right. And I appreciate Elder Bloyd's words, his encouragement. Um, I actually, as a preacher, have a lot working against me, I think. I have a soft voice. I've already been asked to make sure that I speak up um, by, by one brother. So I'll make sure I can uh, do that as best as I can. I, I am often uh, filled with fear before I speak. Um, but the one thing that I always remember is that I have a great God. Amen. We have a great God. And that is what gives us strength. And that is what gives us courage. Um, when I come to a place like this, I think about the history of our forefathers in the faith. And I've often loved to read about and study about the brothers and sisters in the Lord from the generations past that worship God in these places. I love to come to a place like this and think about that history. And one of the things that strikes me the most about it is to consider that all that time ago, 300 years ago, when this church was first here in meeting, that those people encountered the same God that we encounter today. They encountered the same God who's eternal, the same God that the disciples encountered thousands of years before. And that Moses and Abraham and Seth and Adam and people all through the ages and generations encountered that great God. And God has put on my, my mind and my thoughts lately thinking about the question of how do we see God? How do we see God? But we live in an age that seems sometimes like a very skeptical age. Uh, more people in increasing numbers in our times, more and more people are saying that they do not believe in God or that they do not believe in the God of the Bible. Increasing numbers of people. And yet, paradoxically, at the same time, we see the proliferation of all kinds of superstitions and uh, interest in mystical things and, and uh, supernatural things. And so it, it really might cause us to ask the question of how is it that we can see God? How is it that we see God? Um, the Bible speaks about this. In fact, the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And yet it also says of God, no one has seen God at any time. It describes God as the invisible God. And so if I speak about what I mean by seeing God, that might require some explanation. I believe there's a number of different ways that we see God. That is that, that God manifests himself and his qualities and his character to us, even though he is invisible and we cannot see him with our natural eyes. I believe that there's a number of ways that we see him. And so if I exhort you today, if I tell you to open your eyes, I'm talking about something spiritual. Open your eyes because God is manifest all around us. His power is. And his majesty. 
is everywhere. There's a number of different ways that we see God. We see God in his word. In his word, the scriptures. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that literally means that it is God-breathed. That is, it is exhaled by God. It comes forth from God. God is the source. And God moved through people to write these things down, but it was His Spirit and His personality and His will and His law and His intentions that have come through. It says the Scriptures came not of old time by the will of man. But holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So in God's word, we see God. Even though it's things that are written, God's word is living and powerful and active. And we can see God in that. I think back a number of years ago to when I first began courting my now wife. We had only known each other for about one month before we started courting. And it was right about that time that we had to go our separate ways, go back to our own uh, towns and be at a great distance from each other. A distance of, of many, many, many hours drive. And it was back at a time when long distance calls were still very expensive. And so we didn't talk on the phone very much. But what we did do is pretty much every day we would each go and we would write letters to each other. And we would pour out our thoughts and our dreams and our desires, what we liked, what we were thinking about, what we were excited about, what we were scared of, what we were wondering about. We would ask each other questions. We would learn about each other. And I remember during that time, even though for many months, I didn't see this young woman. I didn't talk to her face to face. And yet I got to know her more and more. She got to know me through reading the letters that we each wrote to each other. Because the words that were written down were the thoughts and intents of our hearts. They were expression of who we were and what we desired. And if it is that way with us, mere human beings, flawed and imperfect in our communication, how much more can we see God in the words that he has had written down for us? Written down to us. And God's word, even more than any letter that you or I could write, God's word comes with power and with truth. I think about when when Jesus was talking to the Sadducees who denied the resurrection of the dead. And they, they brought some uh, account to him to try to, to demonstrate to him that the idea of believing that the dead rise from the grave is foolishness. That's what they thought. Last time we were here, two months ago, we heard a sermon about the resurrection. And something that's believed by faith because we believe in a God who can raise the dead. But to the natural mind, it's, it seems like foolishness. So the Sadducees, they didn't believe it. They could not believe. And Jesus says, you err, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. And in the course of speaking to them, he says, have you not read that which is spoken unto you? 
See, the things that were written down in the scriptures, he declares that they were spoken to you. Spoken. Have you not read that word? No, not that word is written, but that word is spoken unto you in the scriptures where God says to Moses, I am not the God of the, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus says, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. See, if God is the God of the living, and God has spoken these words, and they are alive to us, then we can see God in his word. We know about him, what he's like, what he desires, what he hates, what he would have us to do, how he would have us to live, how he would have us to think. God's word, in his God's word, we see God. We also see him in his creation, in all the things that he has made. In all the things that he has made, we see him. It says, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. That word Godhead, that means his divine nature. It says they are clearly seen. The invisible things are clearly seen. What does that mean, they're clearly seen? It means his attributes are understood by what he has made. There is a common um, parable that's used sometimes to speak about the nature of uh, understanding God from creation. And it's the idea of if you were walking along, say you're walking along in a path on a hike... And you look down and you find an elaborate watch lying on the ground and you pick it up and you begin to examine it and you see that it has a certain structure and it has a certain order to it and it keeps time, tick, 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 in a perfect rhythm and it has made of all these different materials, the glass and the metals and they're constructed together in such a way that they have order and they have harmony And they serve a function and they have a certain amount of beauty to them above and beyond even their function. If you were to pick that up and look at that, you would be able to conclude from what you are observing that that object, even if you didn't fully understand it, you would be able to discern that that object has a creator, someone who made it. There is a watch that implies there is a watchmaker. And you can understand something about the intelligence and the skill and the resources of the one who made that. Well, how much more so can we, from the, the, from the incredible creation, can we see the power and the wisdom of God at work? And i like to say more about that in a, in a moment. But let me continue on just considering a few more of the ways that we see God. We see God... Also, by, through, through his spiritual manifestation to us. That is that there is a, a way in which God makes himself known to his people that transcends our normal senses. That transcends the sight of our eyes and the hearing of our ears. It's a spiritual understanding. It says that they that are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. God, God communicates to his people through his, in, a, in a spiritual way that is beyond the understanding of our natural senses. I, I, we, we've all 
had different experiences in our life. But I, I think back to a very young age for myself. I remember there were times when I would go off and I would be by myself. And what, what sticks out to me in my mind when I think back to those times is I remember that when I was by myself, I never really felt like I was alone. And I would talk to God and I would pray and I knew that he was there and that he heard. And, and, and I, don't know, I can't explain how I understood that, how I knew that, but I believe that God's spirit, it communicates with our spirit in a way that transcends our senses. And so that, that is another way in which we see God. We also see God in our praise of God. It says God inhabits the praises of his people. You, you want to draw near to God? Praise him. Lift up your voice in praise to him. It could be a song. It could just be words that you're speaking. But when you begin to praise God, thanking him, and, and uh, praising him and worshiping him for all of his qualities... It's amazing how that will bring to the forefront of your mind, of your heart, who God is. And you will see things that you can't see with your eyes through the praise. And God inhabits the praises of his people. We also see him in, in his church. In his church. We see God in the worship that when, when we come together. I think about what, this, what David wrote in the psalm. He said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That shall I seek after. Jesus said, seek and you will find. But what are you seeking? What are you seeking? You seek and you will find if you seek God. Like David declares in that psalm, he says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That shall I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, he understood that he might not be able to look at God face to face, look him in the eye, but that when he went into the temple of God, and he worshiped God with God's people. And the songs of praise were being lifted up. And the scriptures were being opened and read. And the presence of God by his spirit was descending down among his people. He understood that he was beholding the beauty of the Lord. Glimpsing it. Glimpsing it. Because we, we could never fully see it here in this flesh, in this life. It would consume us. It would be too much. But, but he could glimpse it. He could behold the beauty of the Lord. When the priests' garments, the, the garments of the priests and the high priests were made, they were designed according to the specification that God gave. And that design signified so many glorious things about the nature of God and his worship. And they were lined with uh, precious stones and, and special colored linens and designs. And it says that the chief, the chief priest garments, that they were made in, in this way, and they had uh, skilled craftsmen to make them, who it says were, were guided by the Spirit of God, 
to, to have those skills, and they were made, it says, for glory and for beauty. For glory and for beauty. And why? Why would God have the garments that the priests wore and the construction of the temple itself and the tabernacle and the various designs that were on it and the ways that it was made and the precious stones and the gold and the silver that were made to construct it, why would it be constructed with glory and beauty? Because it was reflecting the one who made it and his qualities and true beauty and true glory are in God. And that glory and that re- that beauty reflected in a shadow, in a dim reflection. They displayed to man heavenly things, heavenly things. And God taught them in those types and those shadows and those dim images, the glory and the beauty. So in, in God's church, we see God on display. We see God. We also... Most importantly, most importantly, we see God in His Son. We see God in the Son. In the beginning, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this Word, this is from John chapter 1, this Word is speaking of Jesus, because later on it says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Later on in that same passage, it says, no man has seen God at any time. But he doesn't stop there. That's not a a word of despair. It's not a hopeless word. No one's seen God at any time. And so we should just give up because he's not showing himself. No. Says, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son of the Father, which is in the bosom of the Father, he says, He has declared Him. In Jesus, the beloved Son of the Father, in Jesus, it says, All the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. In Him, we see God. Revealed to us. Think about what Jesus said to his disciples. He had talked to them about the Father. He said, The Father has sent me, and the Father, I do the Father's works. And he spoke of the Father, the Father, his whole life and mission was captivated by his service to his Father. And his disciples, at one point, they say, Just just show us the Father, and that suffices us. That would be enough for us if you just show us the Father. And Jesus says to his disciples, he looks at them and he says, have you been with me so long and you don't yet know me? He says, don't you know that he who has seen me has seen the Father? In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily, in, in body. You want to know what God is like? What God desires? His character? His love? His heart? Look at Jesus. In him, God is fully revealed. God is made flesh and dwelt among us in the divine nature. 
and the human nature are united together in perfection, in Jesus. So in his son, God is revealed. Well, I said I wanted to say more about the creation. And I want to spend the rest of of my time here speaking about what I quoted earlier. It says, the invisible things of him, this is in Romans 1.20, if you're curious, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. That's, it's a glorious truth that's declared in that, but it's, it's also a fearly one, fearful one because it says that they and we are without excuse. We, we can know enough about God and his worthiness to be praised and served just by the creation around us, Amen. just by seeing what he's made. His eternal power. His eternal power. You you can't begin to understand the depth of majesty of this creation. We can't. We can't. You, You should go out at night and look out at the stars. You should do this at least every once in a while. We should all take the time and look out at the stars and gaze off into the distance a distance farther than we could ever imagine. And, and with a glory that's displayed beyond what we could ever understand, you look out at that and consider that that is made by the hand of God. You should stand at the edge of the ocean and look out as the waves crash against the shore and you see just the raw power in those waters and the expanse so far out that you, you can keep looking and you can never see to the end of it till it disappears in the distance. And consider, as glorious and majestic as that is, there is a God who made that, who created that. The glory and the power. You shouldn't stare directly at the sun. But if you stop and you consider how bright and warm and powerful that is and how God uses it to sustain life on the earth, you can begin to consider the majesty of the one who made it. People in time past, maybe people, some today still, worship the sun or the moon or the stars. But, But what you have opportunity for is far better for you know that there is a God who created all these things, who is worthy of that praise and that worship. And as great as they are, and majestic as they are, the God that made them is greater still. So his, the, his eternal power is on display, and his God his, his intelligence, his wisdom are seen by the things that are made. Let me read a few scriptures to you about this. In Psalm 19, it says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. 
That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. You stare off into the heavens. You look in the day at the clouds or the, the beauty of the sky. Or you look out at night and you look at, at the great expanse. It says that they declare the glory of God. Because God has put his wisdom and his glory into what he's made. So it, it reflects the, the glory and the beauty of the creator who made it. It says, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It's speaking about the firmament, the heavens, the skies. They declare the glory of God. And there is no language in this earth where they cannot understand that. In the beginning, it said God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. All these things are made by him. In Job 12, 7, it says this, But ask now the beasts, ask now the beasts, the animals, the beasts, and they shall teach you, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? You look at the animals, you look at the birds, you look at the earth itself, you look at the trees, you look at the mountains, you look at the, the canyons, you look at the rivers and lakes and all the, the power and, and strength and wisdom that it took to create these things. The hand of the Lord hath wrought this. In whose hand, it says, in whose hand, he goes on, is the soul of every living thing. Not only all those things out there, all those things that you could look at, God has made, but also you. You, your body, soul, spirit, created by God, fearfully and wonderfully made according to his design and his intention, though corrupted by sin and death, but in their design, glorious. In whose hand, it says, is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Even our, our breath, even our, the, the breath in our bodies, in our lungs, our very life, is in his hands. And he holds it together. And he holds it up. And we don't have to look far. And you don't have to look some great distance to see the power of God at work because even the breath in our bodies, even the breath of all mankind is in his hand. And it says, in him we live and move and have our being. It says of the word of God that by him were all things created and for him they were created. And it says that he upholds all things by the word of his power so that even the holding together of everything is by the power of God. Make no mistake. God, God is not some impersonal force, powerful though it may be, who built everything and set it in motion and then stood back and left it alone to develop on its own. No, it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. 
And if he stopped for a moment, holding it all together, everything would, would fly apart and dissolve into nothingness because it is held together by his word and his power, by his beauty and glory, because it's like a symphony, his creation. It's like, it's like a, a glorious symphony. If you, if you think about a symphony or even the, the songs that we have been singing here today, as we blend our voices together and there's four different parts and they each have their own melody, but as they come together, they hold together in this one united, beautiful sound. And God's creation, it's like that. Except there are hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of melodies all working together to make that glorious harmony that only God could hold together. And so we see that in his hand is the breath of all mankind. In Psalm 104, verse 24, it says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. How manifold are thy works. There's so many of them. And yet, there's so much diversity and, and, and difference and, and beauty and complexity to it. And yet, somehow, God has brought it all together into this one glorious and beautiful creation. How manifold are thy works in wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Consider the wisdom of God that it took for God to make all that he made. What wisdom. Far from just God uh, exhibiting raw power, God exerts his power with such wisdom and grace and perfection that what he does is glorious. In Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. When he saw the creation of God, it caused him to understand that there is nothing too hard for God. And that is good news. That is good news because it means that there is no obstacle too great, no force too evil in this world. There is nothing so powerful that God is not able to overcome it. And so God is able to overcome all of his enemies. He's able to defeat them all. He's able to, to, to bind the devil up and, and, and bind him into the abyss. He's able to overthrow all the powers and forces of evil in this world. And also, God is able to remove the sins of his people as far from them, it says, as the east is from the west. He's able to defeat sin and the power of death. And it says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We'll be able to say, O O grave, where is thy power? O death, where is thy sting? And he has defeated death. 
He has defeated death. We have the, the promise of His ultimate victory over death because that victory is proven, demonstrated, and accomplished in the resurrection of Christ. Because He died. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was nailed to that cross and He was put there and to, to suffer and die. And he was buried in the grave, but on the third day, he rose from the dead because it says death could not keep him. Death could not hold him, and he rose up from the grave for our justification and for victory over death. When we look at the creation, we are reminded nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing that you're facing in your life right now is too hard for God. Is too big. We may be scared. But God is not. We may be too weak, but God is strong. Nothing is too hard for thee, he says. Well, let me close with this. What kind of response might we have to all this? As we are, are brought to our knees, I hope, by the, the majesty of what God has created, what does that lead to in your life? What is the response? What is the result of that when that thought gets a hold of your heart and you consider the majesty of God when you see Him? I said at the beginning, open up your eyes. God's power his majesty, it's all around us. It's all around you. It's in his word. It's in his creation. It's all around. Open up your eyes and see it. Well, Revelation 4.11, I'll close with this scripture. Because this is, this is the response we have. We see that God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of the obedience of our life. He is worthy of all that we have to give. He is worthy. Can't you see that He is worthy? What, whatever it is that you have, have to give, whatever it is that you have to, to, to offer up as a thanksgiving offering has first been given to you by Him. He is worthy. Whatever things in this world that you may serve or, or seek to, to, to give yourself to, they can't compare to the God that created all things. Consider His glory. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created.